Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this time, we're talking about Jules Massenet's Thaïs, which debuted in Paris in 1894. One of his big three, would you say, Eric? Big three. Hmm. Well, there's Manon, there's Werther. Yeah, perhaps so. There, I mean, he was a composer that wrote, you know, quite a few operas, and there, there are some that have not held on to the standard uh, rep uh, as well as Manon or Werther. But uh, even is, Thais is not really standard rep. No, not like the other two. This is set in the fourth century A.D. on the, the plains of Thebes, outside of Alexandria in North Africa. And as the opera opens, we are in the refectory of this community of Cenobite monks. Right. As opposed to hermetic monks. <laughs> Seriously. Right. They, yeah. they, they live as a community. A, a commune, yeah. Right. But they're, they're pretty ascetic. They don't have a luxurious lifestyle. I mean, they are, they are known for their asceticism. Everything is very rudimentary. Yes. All about denial. <laughs> right. It's that idea of simplifying one's life in order to be able to devote it completely and utterly to the service of God. And overcoming the desires of the flesh and the physical desires, period. It's right. mastering that uh, our humanity, our physicality in the service of the, the spiritual. Right. The monks are sitting down having a meal, and Ataniel returns from Alexandria, and he's talking to the leader of the monks, Palemon, and he's upset because he says all of Alexandria is sort of in the thrall of this courtesan, Thais. Somebody that he knew before he became a monk. And it's a little ambiguous as to how well he knew her. <laughs> but she is the sort of the polar opposite to him. He is an ascetic and has renounced all of the earthly physical pleasures. And she, of course, her whole life is devoted to, specifically to that luxury. Hedonistic excess. And she's a courtesan. Yeah. She's a... A high-class prostitute, if you like. Mm. And he, Ataniel, is so upset about what is happening in Alexandria and the, the dominance of Thais that he actually is having dreams about her and a desire to convert her to Christianity, to renounce her past life and to devote her life to God. To which he concocts this plan, that he's going to snatch her away from her hedonistic lifestyle and, and work on converting her to a more aesthetic, religious, uh, devoted way of life. As we'll find out as we go along, his obsession with her uh, is a little bit less altruistic <laughs> than he might be leading us and himself to believe. Palimon doesn't think that this is a good idea. But Atanael is so bent on 
doing this that uh, Palimon allows him to return to Alexandria. And so in Act 1, Scene 2, Ateniel arrives back in Alexandria and meets up with his old friend Nicias, who is... A slut. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to put it quite like that. (laughs) But Nicias is, he's wealthy. Yeah. And he is totally wrapped up in this hedonistic lifestyle. Yeah, a slut. And in fact, <laughs> <laughs> he, in fact, at this time, is currently, he has Thais to himself for a week. He yeah. has paid for her services, for her attentions, for her, quote unquote, companionship. Right. And Ateniel is quite upfront about what he wants to do. He wants to meet Thais and he wants to convert her. Right. He wants to take her away from that life of vice. And as if on cue, <laughs> Nicias says, well, strangely enough, I'm having a party this evening and she will be there. So let's get you out of your monk's garb into something more appropriate to the occasion and you can meet her. And so he does. attends the party at which she sings this duet with with Nicias which is very sort of bittersweet because their week of luxury is coming to an end it's their last night together and Nicias then introduces her to Ataniel and he's quite up front he <laughs> says look Thais I'm here to get you to renounce your worldly ways I'm here to get you to give up the sins of the flesh and to accept a life of pain that asceticism where you are constantly flagellating yourself if you like inflicting pain on the body as a way of of cleansing it of cleansing it of mastering it yeah does she uh, take well to his proposition Uh, not so much (laughs) (laughs) she says yeah sure you are (laughs) And uh, and goes off on her her merry hedonistic way, basically. But Ateneyel says, "You know what? You might not be interested now, but I'm not going away." And he proves true to his word. He's literally not going away. He hangs out on her doorstep all night long till she comes back. End of Act One. Act Two. He's on her doorstep. Yeah. It's after the party. Right. And Thais returns home. And Thais makes her spectacular entrance with, of course, an aria. <laughs> Dis-moi que je suis belle.
it's very ornate and it's really meant to just show off the beauty of the soprano's voice because at this point being the hedonistic creature that she is she's just uh, there's not a lot of depth there you know so a, a color to her showpiece is very appropriate she laments the fact that you know this this life that she has this beauty that she has will not last forever that it's all going to to disappear one day and that's when Ataniel arrives when she's sort of feeling vulnerable because she realizes that the flesh is transient and he tells her that he loves her in spirit not in the way that she would know loving her in the flesh but his love will last forever because it's the love of god and she thinks to herself well maybe maybe he's got something here maybe maybe i should look into this perhaps but throughout this scene though he is conflicted because he is attracted to her oh yeah and he knows this and so on the one hand he's pressing his case for her to give up this life of of immorality this life of luxury and to take on the, an ascetic existence but on the other hand he wants her but he doesn't fully realize this or even recognize it until after he has led her to a convent. What happens at the end of this first scene in Act Two is she has this period of reflection when she considers all that he has told her. And that, in addition to what she was feeling at the beginning of the scene, with the, she's not going to be young and beautiful forever. And she, she processes it all. And there is that famous instrumental entract, the meditation. is when she's going over all of this in her mind and figuring out what lies ahead for her. So what does she decide, Eric? She decides to go with him, to follow him into the desert and to let him lead her to uh, a convent and to a, a new life. And in order to make that break with the past, Ataniel tells her she needs to destroy all her possessions. She needs to burn down her house and get rid of everything. It's a sort of a sort of symbolic cleansing, if you like. Get rid of all those things that would tie you to the life that you used to lead. And she says, okay, but I want to keep one thing, and that's this little statue of Eros, the god of love. And Ataniel realizes this is a gift to her from Nicias. Better get rid of that. Better get rid of that. <laughs> so he makes her give up that as well. As they're leaving Alexandria, who do they bump into? Nicias. Nicias and his entourage, and they're all partying. And when they see Athanael and Thais leaving, escaping from Alexandria, they're not happy. No, they don't want to lose their party girl. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the sweetheart of Sigma Chi. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually start to throw stones at them. But Nicias intervenes because he has some respect for Thais's decision. Yeah. He actually starts throwing money on the ground to distract his friends so they'll stop throwing stones. And because of that, Thais and Ataniel are able to escape. End of Act Two. Act Three, we open with Ataniel and Thais walking through the desert. Thais is getting exhausted, but Ataniel is forcing her to keep going. That physical pain that she's experiencing is part of that asceticism. It's part of that mastering your physical body. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. (laughs) They press on through the desert and they reach the convent where Thais is going to live out the rest of her days, chastising herself and devoting herself to God. And suddenly, Atanael realizes that his love for her was not so pure. <laughs> That's right. As he, as he realizes that this will be the last time that he will ever see her. Exactly. It's like, uh-oh. Yeah, he's jealous. He's actually jealous. And he suddenly is forced to rethink his whole existence, his whole life. In the second scene of this act, He arrives back at the monastery, and he's in a real funk because of what he has realized in saying goodbye to Thais. And he talks to Palimon again and says, you know what, I've realized that my feelings for Thais were of a sexual nature. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. What a surprise. Palimon says, well, I told you not to try and convert her in the first place. You know, if you'd listened to what I said, none of this would have happened. Yeah, real helpful. (laughs) Ataniel goes to bed and he has another dream, another vision. This one is erotic. It's that lust coming through for Thais. And in the dream, he tries to, to seize her. He tries to take her. But she laughs at him and she runs away. He's not able to get her. But then he has a second dream in which he sees Thais and she's dying. Right. And this one unfortunately proves prophetic. The beginning of scene three He's had the, this vision of Thais and she's dying. And he resolves that he's going to renounce his vows. He's going to forget that asceticism that he'd been preaching to her for so long. And so you've, you've going, have, you have parallel arcs in this opera. Exactly. <laughs> so he, he renounces his monkdomship and off he goes to the convent to see Thais, whom he believes is dying. And when he gets to the convent, she actually she is. is. And he finds a Thais. You know, here, here is a Tanael who has renounced his vows. So he's gone from this pure ascetic monk at the beginning of the opera, ostensibly motivated by 
pure thoughts and pure spiritual love. And he's completely slid to a guy who's completely motivated by, well, lust. <laughs> lust. lust. There we go. Say it, Eric. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking something a little bit cruder, but we won't uh, go there. Um, <laughs> and then at the same time, you've got Thais, who at the beginning is completely superficial. I mean, the first time we see her, she sings, Dis-moi que je suis belle. Tell me that I'm beautiful. Because that's all that matters to her. You know, party, party, party. Tell me I'm beautiful because she knows she's, you know, the time is going to come when she's not anymore. It's a bit like Violetta in La Traviata. Very much like that. Very much like that. And now, here we are at the end of the opera, and she has achieved what Atanael thought he had to begin with, but obviously didn't really. But she has achieved this apotheosis, apotheosis this spiritual awakening. And she, she really is existing on a, on a, a beautiful spiritual plane. plane. Mm-hmm. And she's about to you know, go to her maker with a completely clear conscience. So when Ataniel arrives at the convent and she is dying, he tells her, look, everything that I taught you, everything that I I tried to get you to believe was a lie. Hmm. And the only thing that really matters is that physical love, that human love. But of course, she's already on her way to heaven. She doesn't understand, she doesn't hear what he's saying before she dies. Right. And when she dies, end of the opera. Right. And Nathanael is just left this completely broken man. So in, in, a, in a sense, it's, it's kind of also like Faust. Even though Marguerite at the beginning of, the, of Faust is certainly not hedonistic by any sense of the, of, the, of the word, but Faust kind of brings her down to that level. And she then, by the end of the opera, rises above it and achieves salvation while Faust is just a wreck. So much of Thais is sort of metaphysical, psychological, um, which is not the first thought when, you, when you're looking at a, at a theatrical presentation. So where is the, the beauty? Where is the uh, reputation of this piece, this opera. Like everything in Massenet's output, it's, it's, it's in his colorful, ultra-lush, romantic music. At least to me, he is the most ultra-romantic of the French lyric opera composers. His, his scores are just so full of color. He was uh, one of the first to use a saxophone uh, in the score for Verter. Hmm. You know, because he's always looking for these different colors and, and sonorities yeah sonorities and a, a very rich uh, sound palette and uh, it's hmm, how do I say it it's it's just uh, when he has two characters on stage declaring a love for one another it's uh, it's the romantic ideal it's you know, it doesn't really bear any semblance to reality but it's what we all want we all want to hear someone declare their love for us in the way that Werther does to Charlotte and Werther, or the way that Atanael does to Thais here, or the way that the Chevalier de Grieux 
does to Manon. It's, uh, it's this romantic outpouring that uh, only really has a, a parallel in literature in, in uh, the Bronte sisters or um, Jane Eyre or, or something of, of that ilk. We don't see it in reality, but we love that romantic ideal in literature and in opera. Jules Massenet's Thais. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening. Thank you.